Hola, listeners. Welcome to the Adventure Seed Podcast, a random roller podcast where every show is different. I'm Heather. And I'm Whitney. Out of 20 possibilities, we rolled and are excited to discuss The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft with y'all for adventure today. We also rolled up drinks. Whitney rolled up a raspberry cream ale from local, local brewery, Black Horse Pub and Brewery. And I'm having a listener-suggested chocolate milk recommended by Aaron. So stick around and see what chaos we come up with today. So I was really excited to roll up an HP Lovecraft short story. And it was on our list for a multitude of reasons. Um, yeah. It was written in 1928 and is definitely a product of its time. And it was mm-hmm. first published in Weird Tales in April 1929. And I really love stories that mess with your mind and play with that weird psyche and scared reptilian brains that we have. And I mm-hmm. think that's why I put it on here originally and why I, why, or why I read a lot of H.P. Lovecraft growing up. Um, but we'll talk about some of the issues in a little bit. But don't you have a personal connection with H.P. Lovecraft? I do. And that was one of the reasons I was glad we put it on our list. Um, I had never really read a lot in the horror genre um horror movies give me the skeevies even movies as silly as like scream um which isn't scary to most people um it literally made me like jump out of my seat and land in someone's lap three feet away so um so i had never read hp lovecraft until I was just browsing Bored Panda one day and saw H.P. Lovecraft stayed at a farm to do a lot of his work uh, owned by a gentleman named Goodno. And one of my um, ancestral family names is Goodno. And so I started doing some digging and called my grandfather, who's an absolute genealogy nut. And I discovered that this particular Goodno is my like six great grandfather's brother and he hosted hp lovecraft at his farm they exchanged the same postcard back and forth for six years and it kind of became a game with them to see who could write the smallest to take up as much possible space on the postcard. So like the first one sent it and wrote in black ink. The second one wrote between the lines in blue, sent it back and then sent it again with like smaller red letters written underneath the blue letters. So like they sent this postcard back and forth a total of 27 times. Um, And by the time the last messages were sent, you had to have a magnifying glass and they were having to write it with a glass tip quill to make the writing small enough to fit on the postcard. Um, It's in a museum somewhere now um, near that farm, but it was really cool that like a famous American author kind of like hold up to write almost all of his works at one of my ancestors farms or ancestor adjacent farms. I think that's really neat. The horror nerd in me, the history buff in me, the art, kid in me there's so many different things that get all excited when when we first met and you told me that story I it just boggled the mind greatly almost as much as some of his stories do or did well 
And because of that postcard, like, I, I took the time to find it on the museum website and I zoomed in as much as I could to read as much as I could. And they were just really boring conversations like, how's your wife? How's the farm? Okay, I'm coming next week. But, um, well, they did what we do on social media. I mean, we, people joke and make fun of people for sharing their food, like pictures of their food, or I'm doing this today. They, people have always done that. Humans have always wanted to inform each other of the banal of our lives. (laughs) That's just human nature. Right. So it was, yeah, I I love that you compare it to social media because it really was like direct messages back and forth in a Twitter feed, but on a postcard. Absolutely. Um, but so I ended up reading Call of Cthulhu after that um, because jumping into his most seminal work with none of the background knowledge is exactly what you should do with an author who is <laughs> as specific and strange as H.P. Lovecraft is. Um, so when we were picking today's tale, um, I did a lot of research on the front end and the story we've chose, the Dunwich Horror, is actually where the Cthulhu mythos first begins to take shape. So for me, it was also really nice to like go back and read something that makes Cthulhu make a little bit more sense. I can see that. And it had been many moons since I have read Dunwich Horror. So it was nice to come back. Like Doing the shows has given me a different way to look and read the media that I am consuming and or the medium that I'm consuming and like with comic books or graphic novels or short stories like this one the first time you read it you're reading it with the theater of the mind the second time you're reading it you're like well what what importance do I want to glean from this what what do I want to talk about how do I want to relate this to today's time or talk to Heather about or talk to our listeners about it's it's really interesting to to read it 10 years later and all the cringy moments (laughs) there are a lot (laughs) I mean we're laughing but I think we're laughing more out of awkwardness and not out of like anything else does that make sense oh absolutely I remember messaging you as I was reading and I was like how is he still a celebrated writer this is awful i mean, like it's a good story but as far as like and and things that our society now holds dear compared to then like this belongs in a trash heap somewhere a, a big trash heap and uh i, I want to take one moment to pause and tell everyone that we are doing this virtually today so if there are any audio issues we do apologize and we're going to work really hard to, to fix that on post-production but just in case sorry <laughs> um but back to the cringe yeah <laughs> yeah technology is weird with both of us um back to the cringe part um, npr all things considered did an article a while back and i'm going to put it in our source notes and I, I just found it last minute and wanted to kind of talk about it when I don't really have a good way to, to talk about how this makes me feel because I've, I've a sci-fi and horror nerd since I very first started learning how to read. I chose the weird, creepy little kid books and I was reading goosebumps and, and all the scary stories, like scary stories tell in the dark and more scary stories. And 
I, my, my very first nightmare that I remember was being trapped in a house with Dracula. I, I, I'm that kid. And it's, it's so ingrained in our culture. It's so ingrained in so many of us from like the eighties. I think that, that HP Lovecraft had another like resurgence in the eighties. And, Mm -hmm. and again, now 30 years later, 40 years later, he's having another resurgence and it's, he's so proliferated throughout our pop culture and so many artists and writers and directors and god knows who else it's it's so entwined with our psyche and our storytelling yes well and i remember when i was first reading him a a guy i was dating at the time was like oh he's the father of modern horror as we know it if we didn't have hp lovecraft we wouldn't have stephen king or any of the other horror writers that I haven't read because horror scares me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll own my my shortcomings. Uh, listeners, please don't put more horror books on our lists. <laughs> um, but um, if if H.P. Lovecraft hadn't written what he did, then the style of horror that became prevalent wouldn't exist. And I think that's important to acknowledge to him. But then we can't give him that credit without also talking about the problematic aspects of his work. Well, and also, I honestly think that the birth of horror was Mary Shelley with Frankenstein. See, her book didn't isn't horror to me. I mean, like, I can see how it can be a horrifying concept. Well, this but to short, me, I consider this short story like, was not horrifying. No, no. But for me, Mary Shelley is like the birth of science fiction more so than horror. And I, I mean, the the monster of Frankenstein is is a celebrated horror movie. He's one of the classic monsters. When you see Halloween decorations everywhere, you you rarely see Frankenstein missing. Right. So I guess we'll just have to agree to this on the Mary Shelley thing. We don't all geek the same. That's okay. Very true. Uh, but while we're talking about authors that are, are remind us of H.P. Lovecraft, as I was reading, I got really intense um, Nathaniel Hawthorne and Edgar Allan Poe vibes from H.P. Lovecraft's writing because of how he describes things and the depth to which he writes description. Like we have pages and pages of this short story from him where there's like no dialogue and that's very Poe-esque or Hawthorne-esque. And what's interesting about that to me is that those writers were like dead and gone when H.P. Lovecraft is writing in this style. Like his contemporary writers are more like those of Ernest Hemingway that had almost no description in their writing um, who were very heavy and direct. I, I just find it interesting that H.P. Lovecraft chose a writing style that was not popular and was, was very much something of, of an older time to write these stories of very ancient things. I can understand that completely. It's, it is odd, and like many of the horror and sci-fi 
like people during their time, they just didn't make a lot of money. They weren't as popularized. Well, and I don't, I don't think that H.P. Lovecraft was during that time period he either. I mean, his, yeah. his sales records were abysmal. It's, it's just very odd to me that, well, it's not really odd. We were talking about it the other day. It's, it's October, and so everyone is watching scary movies and horror movies. Not everyone, but mostly everyone. And it's kind of the only time of the year they really sit there and just binge watch that. Although there are many of us who do that year round. And if you look at the ratings for horror movies, they're always really low. Even classics have a very low rating. People just, they, they hate on horror. And I, it looks like they have always hated on horror at the time. <laughs> well, and even, even today's best-selling horror films are often released during months when there's not much else coming out. Like you don't have summer blockbuster horror films. Like it's just not a thing. Right. Um, because that's not where the money is. And, and it's, it's a shame. But speaking of things being blockbusters and when they're coming out and all that jazz, there is something HP Lovecraft related right now. That is actually very popular and very highly critically acclaimed. And, and Rightfully so. Uh, is, is Jordan Peele is the producer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft Story, uh, it's is HBO's it? HBO's Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft and Country. it takes, it's, there, it's, it's essentially kind of like a reclamation of power. We're taking the power back from, so in case you all have not read H.P. Lovecraft, he is, he, he perpetuates a lot of the, negative attributes and misconstrued traits of black people essentially he's he makes them out to be monstrous mm -hmm. he the main character of dunwich horror is is a black child and the way he describes his features and the way he describes like it, him putting this this life cycle, this quicken life cycle, that's, that's often a mistrait for, for black people is that they, they age faster so they can, they can handle more abuse or whatever other awfulness is perpetuated. And so HP Lovecraft mm -hmm. has these details in this story and the HP Lovecraft or the Lovecraft country show is kind of taking that power back and saying, we're not the villains of the story. We're the heroes. Well, and in this story, um, he he talks a lot about like the black magic, and he talk like you were talking about the the way that he's describing. Um, at one point, he calls him like a black brat, um, and anytime something bad is happening in this story, like at one point, he describes an open window showed black and gaping in the moonlight and when we associate like open windows and moonlight normally we're like oh it's so pretty no hp lovecraft had to like add racial tension to that and because of the context of the re rest of the story make it something else well and, and you're very um, right and he 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 only does that to 
this character to the to the yeah. elderly grandfather white grandfather who's crazy and into black arts like the dark the dark arts not black magic yeah but dark mr arts. whiteley he he when he does bad there's just rumors or whatever or he just kind of touches on it but whenever mm-hmm. there is something negative about his grandson it's i mean he just goes into deep disgusting detail about these these awful things that he says and it's just it's cringy is not even a strong enough word it it made me like i had to stop reading it a few times and i just had to sit down and walk away and come back to it <laughs> yeah it took me five sit throughs to get through this because it was like there were multiple moments where i was like i cannot believe he just wrote that sentence and i would close the computer and walk away and come back okay like it can't get worse oh it did it definitely did uh, um so can can we separate and- the artist the author the maker the creator the director from the art from the product I think that's something that we're all kind of struggling with nowadays in, in its totality is can can you mm-hmm. can you hate the person who wrote it and and love the mythos stories? Well, and I think we're dealing with that on multiple layers in our society right now. I know like when Bill Cosby, for example, got arrested and charged and found guilty a lot of people grew up with Bill Cosby as like their TV father figure and trying to work through like, can you separate the crimes he committed from the memory you have of his work from his body of work? And, and so I think as we become a more politically correct society and as we start to acknowledge the sins or crimes of our past for any artist, writer, creator, politician whatever um it's something we have to to ask ourselves and i i'm finding that people are making those exceptions or allowances on like a case-by-case basis me too i mean i am too yeah i mean because harvey weinstein Um, if i see his name on the front of a movie which some of my very favorite movies are produced by weinstein or weinstein i mm -hmm. i get a little vomity and some of them i've had to turn off yeah. And, and I find myself, um, I mean, e- not even like on a star scale, but like one of my favorite teachers in high school who, if you had asked me in high school or shortly after whose classroom do I learn the most in, who do I feel like cares the most about the kids in their room? I would have said this guy, but interacting with him on social media as an adult, seeing the kinds of things that he posts, the kinds of beliefs that he really holds. I'm amazed I learned anything in his room, anything of value anyway, because the tolerance he taught is not the tolerance he speaks. And I find him to be a fairly disgusting human being now, but he was still one of my best teachers in high school. And I finally had to just like block and walk away because I... I couldn't rationalize the two people that I was seeing. Well, and I think that there are many people who can't 
read H.P. Lovecraft anymore. There are people who got very angry about Lovecraft Country being named for a person who so he, he was he had some mental issues H.P. Lovecraft and he had some deep-seated mm-hmm. fears based off of some life experiences that he had and a lot mm-hmm. of the darkness like he's he's twofold he's very like his fears in this other race are that come out very strongly in his writing and then he also has the fear of the mind like how deep and dark the mind goes mm-hmm. and it, it it's just so hard to kind of to kind of set that aside and be okay reading some of this stuff now the stuff that's inspired mm-hmm. by his mythos stories is much more palatable for me but the actual writings now is so difficult <laughs> mm-hmm. well and I also I think you you touched on it really well um, when when we're dealing with a lot of these, especially older authors, authors that are long dead and gone, it's very easy for us to say, like, well, he had these experiences or, well, he was a product of his times. And those are true. Those are true factual statements. And we can't ignore the validity of them. But there are also people who had similar experiences or who grew up in the same time who made different choices or who were affected differently. And that could come down to, to just being two different people. Um, the, the way that you Whitney respond to things will be always different than how I Heather respond to things because we're two different people, even if we have the same experience, whether we're a product of our time or whatever. But I think that it's really important to have the conversation and to critically examine the body of work or the lifestyle of the person and decide like, is this still worthy to, to have merit and to pull from. And I think societally HP Lovecraft has been decided to, to be worthy despite his problems, because especially now that we have, well-known black artists and writers pulling from his mythos, reclaiming it, turning it into something much more powerful, in my opinion, like without HP Lovecraft's rather racist work, we wouldn't have Lovecraft country. I agree. Well, do you want to, we've, we've kind of talked about, I think we've addressed the, the issues that we had kind of head on. And if you guys are still Mm -hmm. with us, which we hope you are, (laughs) do you want to talk about the story a little bit? Sure. So um, Dunwich Horror is about a a white gentleman who, it doesn't really come out and say if it was an affair or just like. Oh girl, I don't think you understood what happened. I might have missed that. That might have been one of the paragraphs where I was like, mm, taking a break. Um, well, so he's a. What did you get? Dark, from like, that so the section. grandfather isn't even mentioned at first. It's the, the, yeah. um, the, what is she? Albino. She, she, she has um, albinism. Am I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that yeah. right. And she is suddenly bearing a child without going through pregnancy. Or a long pregnancy. And 
later we discover that this beast is who has impregnated her and delivered her and gave her this child that she has. Oh, see, I understood it that it was the Mr. Waitley who impregnated her, but they had that she had made some sort of deal with this beast. In all the research that I could find, I, there were a few times where incest was mentioned, but it seemed as though it was, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I could be totally wrong, but I thought that he had already summoned the beast, like through his dark arts, because he was a wizard. Are rumors of being a wizard. Uh, that makes sense and that's so. the beast was living in the house, which so suddenly there was like a, a shed that was built up and nice and neat. And then she has a child, and then like pieces of the house, like as it's it so it's set in New England, upper New England, and everything's kind of it desolate mm-hmm. in a wasteland and things are falling apart and like if you drive out in rural area here, things are just kind of falling apart in disrepair. And then suddenly like things are getting mm-hmm. restored and repaired. And then, then locked doors are happening and boarded up windows. And then they take all of the, the different floor dividers out because something inside is needing all that space. And this is happening as well. The and child, it also talks the about how the child is growing up. Right, and it also talks about how, like, cattle start going missing, and if you know anything about, like, witchcraft lore, like, especially, like, Salem witch trial type stuff, like, anytime animals start going missing, you know that saying just and suspicious is a foot related to some sort of dark art. Um, yeah, witches are blamed for everything. They really are. Poor witches. I know. It isn't. But yeah, no, you're right. Like the cattle is the cattle. Dis- We're really testing my editing skills today with this episode. <laughs> but the cows, hearing they keep buying cattle. The villagers, the villagers are all talking about them and talking and, and wondering what's going on, why the cows are disappearing, why this child is rapidly growing, why there's dark mysteries abounding. Why is this old man wizard with an albino daughter with a, they consider him, like, they reveal him to have, like, goat legs at some point. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, they, but they also are enabling it. They're also, like, letting this continue and kind of helping him grow and helping them stay in business and helping them keep cows that we find out later are sacrificial cows nobody in town says we're not selling you cows anymore like there's no social worker that goes and knocks on the door and says hey let's do a welfare check on your household right (laughs) and we see Um, we see that is what's the kid's name wilbur wilbur that's right so we see that wilbur gets older and is is finishing his grandfather's work and tries to hunt down the these old dark arts books because he he want this beast that they're kind of helping grow and these the, the the mythos and the lore of all these elder gods and these dark beings that are out there dark forces dark powers in the world he's trying to find this book which is kind of like essentially a recipe book on how to get these creatures here on our plane in our realm 
we learn that his family has a book, but the pages that he needs to finish the the recipe or the spell are missing. Were they missing or rotted? I couldn't remember if it was they were ripped out or if they just like because all of their books were rotten and falling apart and eaten by yeah. rats. That, like it, he sort of described it like their copy is damaged, but then at one point later in the story it says the pages were missing. So I'm not sure if they like rotted out or were torn out. Like everything's in bad disrepair anyway. So I'm not sure how he planned on reading this book to begin with. And this is what the book's title is? The Necronomicon. I knew you wanted to say that. <laughs> well, and another like fun Easter egg for like listeners uh, that like comic books. He has to travel to Miskatonic University, which is in Arkham uh, and Arkham is the same word that Arkham Asylum is in Batman H.P. Lovecraft invented that word um, right. the Batman stories just took it later well I mean they it was more of an homage to again how proliferous H.P. Lovecraft stories and legend mm-hmm. and mythos mythos stories are they they they're everywhere and you don't you don't quite realize it Right. But yeah, he, he goes to this university, he finds the stuff. Did you ever watch Blade? Yes. Okay, so you know Deacon Frost where he's he's reading the 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 writings of the elder vampire, the ancient vampire gods yeah. and god. Okay, so this is exactly what this reminded me of. Deacon is Wilbur, he's wanting the power of the blood god. <laughs> that is an excellent comparison. And he summons him forth and then he lives through him. And then like, because Wilbur is transformed into this, well, spoilers. I mean, can you really spoil something that's been out for over a hundred years? No, no. But yeah, no, Deacon Frost is exactly who I was envisioning this whole time. Just because it's, it's such a direct correlation. I can't help but wonder if they were inspired by, by this story. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Now that you've said it, like, that's all I can see as I think yeah, about now, that. Now you're, like, playing, you're replaying that back to your mind. Y'all, yeah, go watch I, it. I think the whole Blade series is on one of the streaming places right now. Yeah. But so, um, outside of the problematic bits and pieces, did you, did you enjoy reading some of the earlier H.P. Lovecraft? I, I did, and I enjoyed, like... This is really where like Cthulhu first is created and knowing what I know about Call of Cthulhu and the Cthulhu mythos and how popularized it's become, seeing it in its infantile state in his writing was really, really fascinating. Um, You can tell as he's writing this story that even H.P. Lovecraft did not know where Cthulhu would take his work. Um, because Cthulhu is, is such a minor role compared to like Yog sothoth but um, the fact that Cthulhu is, is here, it's the first appearance of it, it's the first appearance of the Necronomicon, um, knowing where it's going to take H.P. Lovecraft in 20 years from the writing of this is just really cool. It is, and it's, it's why... We talk a lot about um, some of the authors that we've read, and we've read a few budding authors who have only a few works out, 
and it, it's just interesting to watch their growth and development and how important support at a lower level can be because you never know where these stories, mm-hmm. these artists, these authors are going to lead us. And it was, it's, it is really interesting to go back to some of his earlier works and see that. Well, and when, when I was trying to pick which story, because with me in school and me teaching time is of the essence sometimes for how much we can read in a week. And when I was looking at what he had written, I found like a website that listed all of his works by title and year and length. And like any writer, the longer he practiced his craft, the longer his stories got. And so a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's really early writings are only like 200 to 600 words long. They're, they're two to three page essays. Um, and then you get this story that's like a genuine short story five years into his, his writing experience. And then you get Call of Cthulhu, one of his like, I guess you could consider like magnum opuses. Um, and that's like pages and pages and pages and pages and pages. Like it just goes on forever. Um, still not like super prolific. We're not talking into the thousands or anything, but uh, not even really the hundreds. But like the fact that that a writer, it logically makes sense. The more they write, the better they get at it. And then the more they write. And so as we're looking at like some of the early modules that we've had in this, um, or sorry, some of the earlier sessions we've had in this module, like Tom Farmer is, is a budding writer. He has what, like six, seven, eight books out now. But when you look at his early stuff compared to what we're reading, like you can see the growth and Rich Davis who did Cult of Dracula, that's his very first thing that he's ever put out. I'm excited to see his growth in the next few years. Um, Well, and as you were saying though, he he had written plays and such years ago. So he's, he's been writing for a little while. So we're kind of seeing, the first foray into comic books but it does have some writing background so you can see that it is fleshed out yes but it's it's always nice when you can see that growth and with Mm -hmm. hp lovecraft comparing the two stories of of kithlu that i had read and then horror of dunwich like the growth is obvious right well speaking of obvious growth i'm going to transition us (laughs) i don't know where that segue came from but we're going to transition us to our business shout out i guess is what we call it business plug our obvious growth of love for this business that's where that transition came from (laughs) (laughs) well i was kind of talking about kind of growth for us our first episode versus now it's still pretty rough but it's a lot less rough (laughs) with the exception of the audio today which has been all wonky because technology hates us but um the oddities and curiosities expo is they have grown a lot over the years they started off as like a little punk rock flea market type thing and now they literally travel the nation they have shows in all the big cities many of the medium-sized cities they go all over the nation covid kicked them right in the nuts but they have done a lot of online auctions a lot of vending for their like a lot of their vendors they've produced lots of lists they really 
advertise all of them online on social media. And I'd like to tell you all a little bit about them. They uh, hand select their vendors and dealers, artists, and small businesses from all over the country with all things weird. So you'll find items such as taxidermy, preserved specimens, original artwork, horror and Halloween inspired pieces, antiques, handcrafted oddities, quack medical devices, which are insane, creepy clothing, odd jewelry, skulls and bones, funeral collectibles, and much more. They truly have something for everyone, and all the, sh- the all the items are legal to own and sustainably sourced. So there are some items, some bones, some teeth, some feathers, certain things that you can't share. You're just not allowed to share, or you're not allowed to share in certain states. So they make sure that they like each of the vendors signs releases, and you have to sh- you have to know that you've you've obtained it legally and you can sell it legally, and it just really provides mm-hmm. a safe place for everyone to come in. And experience this world if they're not familiar with it. And then those of us who are are creepy people, cryptid followers, uh, horror nerds, whatever, we all have kind of like a safe space to go. Yeah, th- it's it's a really cool company and a really cool expo. So if, if they come to your city, check them out, guys. Well, and they're coming to Knoxville for the first time sometime in 2021. And I, they haven't released their dates. They're going to release the, the dates on October 31st. But I think it's like maybe in August to September is what the rumor mill is. So that would be really cool. And just in time for creepy season. I know. Hopefully I can get a booth. Be exciting. But uh, would you like to roll up for drinks and a reading list? Sure. I rolled a six for my drink. Okay. And I rolled for HB Lovecraft, even though I wanted you to pick because you have the HB connection. So I think it's your turn to roll for the... um, Oh, was that your drink or was that the the reading? That was my drink. That was my drink. A six. All right. And go ahead and roll for the thing, too. I rolled a 13. 13. Ooh, 13 is a graphic novel of your choice. Okay. It's DM's choice. I say we should do Wicked and Divine. Ooh, the Wicked and Divine is really fun. That's actually a really good idea, especially after H.P. Lovecraft. Let's do that. Your drink. It's more- <laughs> Your drink is Coca Cola. Can you have Coca Cola right now? No, but I'll do a diet coke. Okay. That way I can still like sort of play the game. Cool. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So we are really excited about this show. I can't wait until the next show where we will be reading The Wicked and the Divine. We had another fun one-off today here at Adventure Seed Podcast. Follow our quest, Adventure Seed Podcast, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts. May the dice always be in your favor. Roll well.